0: Amen. 2 <laughs> Samuel chapter 23 tonight. 2 Samuel chapter 23. What a good group out tonight. We're all only two weeks here, and we finish up our series uh, in 2 Samuel. And just going back to what this is all about. This series has been about leadership. We're looking at David as the model of a growing leader. And the reason we're looking at 2 Samuel through the lens of leadership is because we believe the Bible teaches that God wants all of us, desires all of us to be leaders. That he created Adam and Eve in the garden to have dominion over his creation. And he he intended for mankind to be a leader. One day the Bible says we will rule and reign with Christ in the kingdom. And therefore, we will be leaders. And so God wants to grow us into the leaders He created us to be. And so I think David is probably the greatest model of a growing leader that the Bible gives us. And so we've learned a lot about leadership. And tonight we're going to continue that as we look uh, at the next to last chapter of 2 Samuel, then next week... By the way, where are we going to be next week? Auditorium. Auditorium. Good. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Just had to throw that in there. Um, next week, then, we'll finish up in 2 Samuel 24. Notice it. it starts out, chapter 23. These are the final words of David. And in a sense... David, like any leader, like any human being, has got to a point in his life where he's certainly in touch with his own mortality. And he's realizing, good and bad, the the legacy, if you will, that he's left behind. I think for me, as I even read those words, I I thought to myself and was challenged by the fact that as a leader, I want to live my life here on earth in, in in a way that other people can place their footsteps and be going in the right direction. Sort of as Paul said to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ, that, that we are challenged to live our lives in a way where we are laying down the right path, the right steps for others to follow in. Leadership is about being an influence. And good or bad, we're going to be influencing other people. What are we leaving behind? Even now, before we're close to our the time of our end here on earth, what kind of footsteps are we leaving behind for others? Notice then in verse 1, we're reminded of the humble beginnings of this man, David. The oracle of David, son of Jesse. Where God brought him from. And we're reminded that, listen, the people that God uses is just ordinary people. David wasn't, you know, even within his own family, significant, if you will. His own family forgot about him. He was the youngest out there just tending the sheep faithfully, but God saw. And so it reminds us it doesn't matter where we come from or any of that. God overrules all of that. All God is looking for is someone whose heart is towards him. Someone who wants to be with him. Someone who wants to walk with him. Someone who wants to fellowship with him. That's what God is looking for. And he found that in David, the shepherd. The Bible goes on to say that God raised him up as the ruler chosen by the God of Jacob. We're reminded that, again, David didn't seek this out. God is the one that brought this about. And... We as leaders, part of what we can fall back on, hopefully, is that this is what God is asking of us. That this didn't come about by our will, but wherever God is leading us and whatever God wants of us and whatever God wants our lives to look like at this point, it's because it's being driven by Him. Not by us or by anyone else. In fact, it's very interesting too, the words raised up in the Hebrew mean to be confirmed and validated. The word chosen means that, in a sense, God's hand is upon. And it's the idea that when God does, in a sense, place His hands upon us, there will be a a confirmation, an authentication, a validation from others as well, and we see that throughout this chapter. We're going to talk more about that later. And then the Bible says at the end of verse 1, David was also known as Israel's beloved singer of songs. What we even did here tonight really can be traced back to David. Singing, worship, a lot of what we do now in our churches and have done down through history of singing and praising God can be traced back to the ministry of David. He was a leader who was always looking to express praise and adoration to the Lord. He was always looking to elevate God in his life. And that's what godly spiritual leaders will do. Instead of elevating ourselves, we seek to elevate God. Notice in verse 2, the Lord's Spirit spoke through me. Now David is speaking. And notice then in verse 2 right here at the beginning that one of the principles, if you will, or aspects of leadership is that we are simply an instrument. That's the way David looked at himself. I'm just an instrument. God is speaking through me. God is working through me. God is, in a sense, living through me. We need to look at ourselves as instruments. And this takes us back even to the concept of worship. Worship. We're going to get into this a little bit more next week in chapter 24, but part of the aspect of worship, especially taught in the Old Testament, is that God was teaching His people, in a sense, to, when they came to Him, to come, in a sense, empty-handed so that they could receive from Him. If we bring too much of us to God, then we don't have any room for Him to fill us up with Himself and what He has. So there's that there's that empty-handedness. There's that, that I, I come with nothing on my own so that you can give me everything of you. So being an instrument of God is it, really falling in line with that whole principle of you and I have to learn that, that it's not us that's doing it, It's us getting to a place where we're just making ourselves available for God to do it through us. As I've taught over the years, it's not our ability as much as it is our availability that counts with God. He just wants us to make ourselves available and then he does the rest through us. David realized that throughout his life. That's why this young shepherd boy could slay a giant like Goliath. That's why that young boy in the Gospels just gave his little lunch to Jesus and made it available. And Jesus took that small little lunch and fed thousands of people because it wasn't how much we were able to give as much as it was just giving whatever we had and giving it to the Lord. An instrument. Then notice, very importantly too, in verse 2, David says, his word was on my tongue. I highlighted that for me in, in my Bible simply because obviously as a pastor and someone who really focuses on teaching the word, boy, that, that's a phrase that I, I want to strive for in my life. I want God's word to be on my tongue. In order for any of us to do that, Obviously, though, we've got to spend time meditating and reading and saturating our minds with God's Word. God's Word cannot be on our tongues if we're not taking the time to internalize it, to make it a part of our life. And so obviously this even presupposes that David obviously spent time in God's Word, was a student of the Word, so that the Word could be on his tongue Spiritual godly leaders are those who are people of the book. One of the things I'm excited about is as we finish out our summer here and move into fall, we're going to be doing some series and some very small books of the Bible. But the thing I love about that is, is you and I are really going to be able to get a handle on a book of the Bible. And yeah, it may be a small book, it may be only one chapter, but that's how I started studying the Bible 35 years ago. I started with the small books of the Bible and felt like I was accomplishing something by getting a handle on, you know, I didn't start out with a, a book that was 60-some chapters long. That, that was too overwhelming for me. But give me a chapter and let me just dive into it. And, and, and there was something encouraging about being able to do that. And we're going we're gonna to do that in a couple weeks with some of the books that we're going to be looking at. Because God wants us to be students of the Word. Then notice verse 3, The God of Israel spoke. The protector of Israel spoke to me. And the aspect there is, if if God is speaking, then I've got to be listening. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Leaders are good listeners. Listeners. We need to be listening for the voice of God in our lives. We need to be listening for God to be speaking to us. Sad to say, throughout the Word of God, there were many instances where God was speaking and no one was listening. We need to be sensitive to the voice of the Lord. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. And David said, the Lord spoke to me. He speaks to you and I today as well, primarily through his word. Are we listening to what the Lord says? The one who rules fairly among men. This is another aspect of leadership. The word fairly here in my translation just means just, lawful, righteous. It means that a godly leader is going to to lead from principle, from, from precept, if you will, from policy and not personality. That leaders are going to lead from a godly standard. From principle. Not based upon the situation. Not based upon personality. That takes all the partiality out of it when we are leaders who lead by principle. And then he says, the one who rules in the fear of God, respect, reverence, in awe of God. That's a leader. Always maintaining respect and reverence and being in awe of God. Then notice this. David begins to describe leadership. This kind who rules fairly and who rules in the fear of God, he says in verse 4, is like the light of the morning when the sun comes up. A morning in which there is no clouds. He's even like the brightness after the rain that produces grass from the earth. What's David teaching us there? I think he's teaching us this. First of all, righteous leadership brings illumination. He talks about the cloudless sky and the bright sun. God wants His leaders, His people, to bring illumination. That's why He calls us, Jesus calls His people in the New Testament, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine before men. Leaders will illuminate a situation. They will bring clarity and clearness to something. They won't cloud the issue. They'll cut through all the clouds And make it clear. Also, I think this verse is teaching us that righteous leadership not only brings illumination, but it also inspires growth and enables productivity. Notice he talks about it. He's like the brightness after the rain that produces grass from the earth. Good leaders are going to create an environment where people can grow and be productive. In a sense, what I'm saying is people will blossom under a good leader. That's what David's saying. People will blossom under a good leader, but that means they've got to allow, they got to be allowed to lead. We can't micromanage. We can't be looking over the shoulder all the time because people will never develop into who God created them to be and who He wants them to be if we're always doing it for them. And if they fail, we fail. We encourage, we get back up and we let them go again. But that's how we blossom. In a sense, God is saying, take the training wheels off of that bike. Yeah, the training wheels provide security and stability, but you'll never get as far on that bike with the training wheels on. Take the training wheels off. Get a little risky. You'll blossom under that kind of an environment. Then notice also, leaders are confident about what is to come In verse 5, he begins to talk about the Davidic covenant. He says, My dynasty is approved by God, for he has made a perpetual covenant with me, arranged in all its particulars. Notice David saying, and God's got every detail covered. There's not a detail God doesn't have down. And so David is very confident as he looks to the future because of what God has done, not what he's done. We've talked about this the last couple weeks and looking at the subject of hope out of the book of Romans and how we can be confident about the future, not because of what it looks like in the world right now, not because of who the leaders are around the world, but because of who's on the throne in heaven. And that's sort of where David was coming from as well, Notice he also goes on to say it's arranged in all its particulars and secured. The word means preserved and protected. He always delivers me, gives victory, rescues me, David says, and brings all I desire to fruition. That word means to grow abundantly. And so David could look with confidence to the future. But notice verse 6 and 7. But evil people are like thorns. All of them are tossed away, for they cannot be held in the hand. The one who touches them must use an iron instrument or the wooden shaft of a spear. They are completely burned up right where they lie. David is under no illusion, even with godly, righteous leadership, that everybody's going to follow. David says, listen. Part of righteous leadership is reflected not only positively, but negatively. you got to deal with the yuck. you got to deal with the sin. You've got to deal with the problems as much as you got to commend the good. This is illustrated for me very clearly in, say, being a parent. An effective good parent is not just someone who praises their child when they do good, but who disciplines them when they're out of line. If you're just praising your child when they do good, but you never discipline or correct when they aren't, it's unbalanced. And that's what David's saying here. Righteous leadership is going to be positive at times, and they you got to deal with both. Sometimes you got to be willing to do what needs to be done. Let's get to verse 8. David begins to tell us about the names of the mighty men, the warriors that accompanied David. And some really cool things here. First of all, I want us to note, how do I want to say this? Leaders are not loners. Leaders... have a team around them. God never expects any of us to do what we do on our own. Any of the great leaders that you and I may think of in the Bible, including David, didn't accomplish what they were able to accomplish on their own. God wanted them to do it as a team. Gaining ground spiritually is a team effort. The other thing I see in this passage, and we'll get to this in a moment, is that courage, like cowardice, is contagious. In fact, that's true of pretty much anything. And what we're going to see here is a bunch of courageous people. And it's almost like the courage of some inspired the courage of others, but it would have so been true that the cowardice of some would have, in a sense, inspired cowardice in others. We, we see this throughout the history of Israel. There was Joshua and Caleb, the ten spies, and man, they were like, let's go into the land. I don't care whether there's giants. God promised us we could get the land. And then the other ten, oh, there's giants in the land, and man, it's, it's gonna be tough. And, and their negative outlook and attitude and cowardice about moving forward in faith, trusting God, just sort of colored and clouded the whole nation. You get a group of people in a church like ours who's stepping out in faith and living courageously and I guarantee you it starts to spread through the whole church. And that's what we see happening here. That's why we need leaders to step up and, and lead. Because it's going to positively influence others. They're, they're looking. Paul said the same thing. He When he was thrown in prison, he tells the Philippians, look, don't be discouraged by this. He says, there are more Christians now who are more bold to go out and speak for Christ since I've been thrown into prison. God's using it to inspire people, not discourage them. And so we see that principle throughout this passage. The word warrior here in my translation in verse 8 means to be strong, mighty, and brave. And that's what we need today. We need strong, mighty, brave Christians. Because it's not getting any easier to live for Christ in the world, and it's not going to. In fact, I'm going to give a little commercial at this point. Sunday, August the 5th. I start a five-week series that, first of all, I just like our church, to be in prayer for. I think it's a pivotal, pivotal series. I think it's going to set the tone through the fall and even into the rest of 2012. So be in prayer about this. But this whole series is really, I think, God asking us as a church to step up. We've been in existence two and a half years now. It's time for us to sort of go up to another level. It's time for us to, to be the strong, mighty, brave people that God is building into us every day. Notice they begin to acknowledge some of these mighty men, these warriors. Some of these names are incredible to me. Joshua Bashabeth, he was the head of the officers. Notice he killed 800 men with his spear in one battle. You've heard of Spider-Man? This is Spearman. <laughs> 800 in one battle. That's pretty impressive. Next in command was Elazar, son of Dodo. Are you kidding me? How humbling would that have been? Hey, who's your dad, Adodo? (laughs) Wow. He was one of three warriors who was with David when they defeated the Philistines who were assembled there for battle. Now notice this, principle of leadership. When the men of Israel retreated, withdrew, departed, ran off the battlefield, he stood his ground. That's what leaders do. That's what God wants His people to do. That's why He wants to build us into strong people. Because there's going to be times where even other Christians in the battles that we face are going to run. And God needs Christians who are willing to stand our ground. These words in the Hebrew mean to be fixed. Also, they mean to endure, to persist. In other words, we keep going when others don't. That's what a leader spiritually will do. When others are giving up, throwing in the towel, saying, I want no more parts of it, it's too hard, it's too difficult, God's leaders are there to stand their ground and keep going when others are running. And that's what he did. He stood his ground and fought the Philistines until his hand grew so tired that it seemed stuck to his sword. This actually happened a lot in those days. That some warriors would fight for so long that literally the only way they could get their hand off the sword was they had to, after the battle, pour warm water on it to loosen their hand up—it literally sort of froze in that position. It, it reminds us of the the persistence, the itiveness the tenacity that is sometimes necessary. Because sometimes the battles we're in—they're not short-term things. Sometimes we're in for the long haul, and we got to be willing to stand our ground sometimes and just endure and persist whatever's coming our way. Notice, though, the Lord gave a great victory on that day. We'll come back to that concept in a little bit. When the army returned to him, the only thing left to do was to plunder the court. I love that. After he did all the work. Hey, we're back now. You know, cleaning up. Next in command was Shammah. Verse 11. When the Philistines assembled at Lehi... Where there happened to be an area of a field that was full of lentils, the army retreated before the Philistines. Once again, people running. But notice what Shammah did. He made a stand in the middle of that area. He took a stand. He literally set or stationed himself in the midst. And he defended it and defeated the Philistines. Once again, though, the Bible says the Lord gave them a great victory. You can see the concept here of leadership. Leadership stands, and stands their ground and persists and endures when others are running. That's why, again, God, I think, wants us to focus on our own spiritual growth, our own spiritual maturity, because it's only out of our own spiritual growth that we will become strong enough to stand our ground when others won't. This is why Jesus even told His own followers as He was going to the cross before that when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, guys, you've got to watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. Jesus knew what was coming and He knew that those men weren't strong enough to face the temptation. That's why He predicted Peter was going to deny Him because He saw what was coming and He's saying, guys, this is not going to be easy. You better get on your knees and pray. You better get all the spiritual strength you can or else you will never stand up to what's coming. That's what's happening in our world today. That... that... There are so many churches and so many Christians that really are not committed and and the churches are not focused on what they should be. And we're not producing a strong generation of Christians. And folks, this world is not going to get easier. The challenges of living in this fallen world are going to get more and more difficult. And, And the enemy and the demonic forces behind all of this are getting stronger and stronger. And unless the church become strong, we will be run over by the forces around us. We must rise up. We must be willing to commit ourselves to being strong for not only what is, but for what is coming. Verse 13, at the time of the harvest, three of the 30 leaders went down to David at the cave of Adullam. A band of Philistines was camped in the valley, so David was in the stronghold at that time while well, a Philistine garrison was in Bethlehem. Remember, that was where he was born. That was his hometown. And like any of us in our hometown, there's certain places you think of eating, drinking in your hometown. Just You can't get that taste anywhere else. Well, that's David, because... David was there and he was thirsty He said, Ah, I wish someone would give me some water to drink from the cistern in Bethlehem near the gate. Because for David, there was never any water that tasted quite like that water. That was his hometown water. And he was just expressing a desire. But notice what his mighty men did. These three elite warriors... broke through the Philistine forces, drew some water from the cistern in Bethlehem near the gate, and carried it back to David. Wow. He didn't ask him to do that. This shows the devotion and commitment that David had around him. These guys just wanted to personally minister to him. It didn't even have anything to do with battle or anything. It was just like, our leader wants this, man. We're going to try to make it happen. We're going to risk our own lives to do it. But notice, David refused to drink it. He he was so overwhelmed and overcome by what what he he didn't he felt like it it would be. It would be in some way diminishing what they did to even drink it. So the only thing he knew to do to sort of elevate it and give it the value and worth of what they did was to offer it, to pour it out as a drink offering to the Lord. That, in that way he felt like he was showing and expressing thanks better than he ever could by just drinking it. The point I want to make is this concerning leadership. Leaders all need a few individuals in our lives who look out for us. Not not again, not ministering, but just personally looking out for you. You need people in your life and you don't need a lot, just a couple, just a few. But everybody, every Christian, every leader needs a few people in their life who look out just for them, just to personally minister to them. I thank God for the folks that I have in my life that they just personally minister to me. They, they know the burden of leadership and so they just want to come and Every once in a while, do something to try to encourage and lift me up. It, it's, it is, it's great. But we all need that. So I guess, if you're in a position where you need somebody to personally minister to you like that, pray about it. Ask God. Say, God, send somebody to me who, who personally looks out for me. Who's not always coming to me for what they need from me, but they're there to just minister to me personally and build me up. But then I also think we need to look at the other side of that too and say, is there someone in my life that God wants me to just personally minister to? Is there somebody out there that God may want me to come alongside and say, hey, I'm just doing this because. Let's go out and let's, let's go out and just have fun some night. And let's just Let's just be friends. Let's just do this to enjoy each other's company and let's forget what's going on here and let's just let's just minister to each other. David had that in his life. And we all need to have that in our life. It's okay to have that in our life. And then he says, verse 17, O Lord, I will not do this. It is equivalent to the blood of the men who risked their lives by going, so he refused to drink it. Such were the exploits of the three elite warriors. i got to wrap this up. Verse 18, He were also introduced to a couple others. This other guy killed 300 men with his spear and gained fame among the three. He was given honor, became their officer. Then there was a guy by the name of Beniah, verse 20. I want to talk about him for a minute because he struck down these two sons. But also notice in verse 20, he also went down and killed a lion in a cistern or a well on a snowy day. Now there's something we all look forward to. Here's the principle that I, I feel out of that. Leaders don't wait for the perfect conditions. They are ready at all times. He wasn't like, you know what? I'm just going to hang around and wait for that lion to come out of the well. No. He went into the well. How close quarters was that to fight a lion? Oh, and by the way, it was slippery because it was snowing. But my personal belief is the army needed the water in that well and they couldn't wait for the lion to just figure out how to get out or maybe the lion would have never been able to get out. So somebody had to take charge because they needed that water and he needed to get in there and fight that lion. Leaders don't wait for the perfect conditions. Sometimes we just have to deal with what we've got and be willing to get in there because we're ready at all times. That was Benaiah. Goes down through and shares other exploits. Beginning in verse 24, he just begins to name all the other mighty men and warriors. And remember, these men actually came to David and, and, and in a sense came to him and began to follow him before he was the king. Remember, these were the discontented sort of outcasts of society. And David was running for his life from Saul. And that's when God brought these men to David's side. So they were with David even before he became popular, even before, no, they were with him in the hard times and then the good. But I want you to notice, as they list all these names, go down to the very last verse of the chapter, verse 39, and notice notice who one of the mighty men of David was. Uriah, Bathsheba's husband which makes David's sin that we talked about the last couple of weeks even more like, wow. I mean, it's bad would, it, would have been anybody, but this was one of David's mighty men that he did this to. In closing tonight, and I know some of you are going to be frustrated with me, especially you note takers, put your pens down, just listen to the podcast if you want to get these. <laughs> because I'm going to go through them rather quickly, and then I'm going to wrap up in prayer. Some principles out of this passage, though, about leadership. You can tell my eyes are... Here we go. Whoa. Leadership emerges in times of crisis. That's what we see in this passage. They simply refuse to give in when things get tough. We see that. Leadership also emerges when others fear and fail. Leaders are not afraid to stand alone. Three, leaders have been prepared and predisposed to their leadership by their way of life. In other words, it wasn't like all of a sudden, oh, I'm a leader. No, their disciplines of the way they live their life every day prepared them when these opportunities came to sort of show what was always there. You and I can't turn on and turn off our Christianity, our faith, our leadership. It's got to be something that's building into our lives every day. And then when the crisis comes or the opportunity comes or whatever, we're there, we're prepared. Leaders are not frightened by the odds which appear stacked against them. Remember the guy that killed 800 with one? 800 to one odds are not good. A giant Goliath to the small little shepherd boy David doesn't look good. But leaders, spiritual leaders, are never frightened by the odds which appear stacked against them because as we're going to talk about Sunday, if God is for us, what? Who can be against us? Leaders are willing to die if need be. We see that here in this passage of Scripture. Leaders work and train very hard, but in the end, they look to God for the victory. Remember, we saw that twice over here. In verse 10 and in verse 12, it says, The Lord gave them the victory. That doesn't mean that we are then able to get lazy and complacent. No, we work and train very hard because it's in the working and the training and the preparation and the commitment and the devotion that God will work through us. Leaders take their duties and responsibilities seriously. There's a strong sense of commitment here in this passage of Scripture. Leaders go above and beyond the call of duty. Duty. Out of faith, loyalty, and love. We saw that with the three elite warriors going down, breaking through the garrison of the Philistines and getting David some water. Above and beyond the call of duty. Today, a lot of people are just looking for, what can I do just to sort of get by? That's not a spiritual leader. Spiritual leaders go above and beyond. Leaders emerge where leadership is modeled, valued, and rewarded. That's something that I feel I need to focus on now as the pastor of this church. I think that's something that God's saying, Jeff, I want you to focus on that. I want us all to begin to just... We need to model leadership. That's important. We can't expect others to, to follow if if there's no models and examples of what is a spiritual leader. Second, they need to be valued. We need to value spiritual leadership and obviously then reward it. That's what was happening here. Because when something is modeled, valued, and rewarded, it'll multiply. And that's what I want to see happen at this church. More and more Christians coming here and growing and getting stronger and becoming the the people of God and the leaders that God calls us to be and desires us to be. And then finally, leaders are those who have the courage to identify themselves with God's anointed. That's what these guys did. They saw God's hand was upon David and they joined themselves to him. And again, remember, it wasn't when he was the king it was when he was running for his life, living in a cave, that they joined themselves. They were with him through the thick and the thin of it. Leadership. That's what we've been talking about. That's what this passage is all about. That's what chapter 24 is going to be about next week as we close this series. I want to thank all of you. What a good turnout on maybe one of the hottest days of the year. How cool is that? Talk about leadership. I should have put that in there. Leaders don't care how hot it is in Phoenix. We're coming out the Bible study. That's good. Guys, thank you so much. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for these principles, examples, models of leaders. And yet, Lord, as we've been reminded, these are just ordinary people like us. But they took their role, they took their responsibility very seriously. And they committed themselves to personal growth. And they trained really hard. And they built into their lives the spiritual discipline, so that, Lord, when, when the hard times came, when the battles came, they were able to be strong and brave and stand their ground when others were falling away and retreating. God, we're living in a world today where the church... And Christians are struggling. We need to grow out of the weakness and we need to become strong. Not only for ourselves, but for this generation. And if, and if Jesus doesn't come for the generations to follow, what will it be like if the church does not rise up and be who you've called us to be? So God, use this series to inspire us, to motivate us, to light a fire, to stir us up, to help us to rise up and be the people that you created us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks for being here. See you on Sunday.